0: And the opening of the can signifies the beginning of episode three of our still unnamed soccer travel project that we're, we're working on it. And by the time these go public, hopefully we can get some suggestions to make a final kind of thing. Gavin Day that looks, here. That,
1: that, look, that looks like a fancy label you go there. What's, what's that when you're drinking?
0: It sure is. And that's Dan Rouse, if you don't remember him from the previous two episodes. This... I I am a West Coaster at heart. This is Blue Buck. It's an ale from a brewery called Phillips Brewery. It's my favorite one out of Victoria, British Columbia. It's a reminder of home. So uh, that's my own one for today. Dan, what do you have tonight?
1: Well, I'm at my mother-in-law's house, and she lives in Glencoe, southwestern Ontario, represent. And uh, there's a nearby place called Chatham, and this is from there. It's called Juice Box Hazy IPA, and it's by Sons Sons of Kent Brewery.
0: You and your IPAs.
1: I know, yeah. Well, you you caught me on. You normally catch me on the second beer of the day. The first beer of the day is normally quite subdued, um, you know, lager or something like that. But then the second beer of the day, I like it to give me a bit of a punch in the face. So this is where we're at right now.
0: Well, here we go. We cheers. Episode three. We've made it this far. We have a third guest joining us tonight. Uh, You know him from Sportsnet. He's one of the finest analytical minds in Canadian soccer in terms of media point of view. Sportsnet's own Peter Galindo. Hey,
2: Peter. Hey, Gavin. Hey, Daniel. Uh, Pleasure to to be here. I'm not as hipster as you guys tonight, which I'm really disappointed by. I got a steam whistle here. Uh, What I like to consider the pepperoni pizza of beer. You know what you're getting. It's not flashy, but it gets the job done. It is
0: Canada's premium Pilsner, and that is not a paid advertisement, so. so there you go. We've got Peter tonight because he brings special expertise. He is a descendant of Peru, of course, South American country, and we, we wanted to, to hear his own travel story. So, Peter, let's, let's get things going right away. What's your uh, Peru national team experience?
2: so it's shocking it took this long to be honest i'm a little bit disappointed in myself uh but 2017 uh august 2017 to be exact was my first foray into a peruvian national team match in person um it lined up really nicely somehow just because i remember um my dad telling me oh your cousin god i have like 18 cousins i gotta think of the name now um your cousin Nicolás is getting married in Lima on September 1st, 2nd. I can't remember the exact date. That wasn't important to the, to the story. But uh, as soon as I heard that it was early September, I'm like, oh, maybe if Peru is playing at home while we're there, we could go watch a game. And so I looked at the fixture list. And sure enough, Peru was playing at home first to start off the window. And they were playing Bolivia. Um, and at this time, they weren't yet in proper contention for a World Cup place. This was a couple games before, and so we figured, all right, tickets will be cheap. Uh, Bolivia is not a marquee opponent, but it, it's an experience. Peru should win. We'll have fun. So that was that was kind of how it lined up. So we flew down there. A couple days after we got there, was was the game itself.
0: And how much was a ticket?
1: Yeah, that's a big question right here. I'm hoping for a bargain, so i might eyeing up a trip down there myself. So Canadian dollars, I believe the cheapest ticket which you could
2: get like in either uh, end was, I want to say it was like eight bucks for Bolivia. Um, wow. Yeah, it's very cheap. Now those tickets fly off the shelf immediately as you could imagine. Um, so we ended up getting seats on the, uh, I believe it was just where the, the, the benches are, where the touchline is. And... Um, those even were, were quite cheap. Those ended up being about 60 Canadian dollars. Um, and we sat kind of middle of the of the lower tier. So that, obviously value for money in Peru, it's obviously a lot different, but uh, it, prices can also fluctuate because I think the next home game, which was the last home game against Colombia, that same 8 or $9 ticket ended up being about $25. So it basically tripled based on, the importance of the game not to mention the uh well the the quality of the opponent to colombia compared to bolivia
1: no i was thinking like you know for me the best trips are when you manage to get that you know inside info you know somebody there or you know a friend of a friend who's there and it can give you a real you know insight into the area you know they've done the trip that you're doing millions of times so they can just give you the perfect quintessential peruvian trip did you have a you know some really really valuable insight when you were down there to give you some pointers and maybe even go to the game with you
2: yeah so initially my dad was thinking of not going and it would just be maybe a couple cousins and i but then the other uncles were like oh let's all go you know it'll be fun so i think like 12 of us ended up going and every single one of them were locals uh, i guess you can throw my my dad into that seeing as how he was born and raised there but um it made it a lot easier for me because I knew what to expect. They told me, "All right, well, you know, expect some, some BS here. Expect maybe a little bit of a hard time to get to the stadium here." What was um, kind of challenging was I remember in the build-up to the game, uh, there was a scheduling conflict. Uh, in Estadio Nacional which is where Peru would play their games there was a concert there a couple weeks prior and it left the pitch in just a sorry state so they ended up having to move the game to the Estadio Monumental which is where the recent uh, Libertadores final was uh, between Flamengo and River the only issue with that is is that it's way out in the middle of nowhere. It's impossible to get to. Traffic in Lima being as hectic as it is, it can take you like an hour and a half to get to the stadium. And even when you get there, there's not like a, a road for taxis to drive into and stuff. You have to be left off maybe 10 minutes by walking before the stadium, walk up through this, you know, just dirt and gravel, and then finally light up. So, so that made it interesting for sure because we were kind of... Uh, uh, you know, it, it's a classic South American story. Nothing ever goes according to plan, right?
1: Well, the distance from the stadiums to the center of town, it sounds like going to watch a match at the Chicago Fire. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, I was talking to my friend uh, Miguel Morales. Um, he's a freelance journalist down there, great guy. I met him in Spain. And he was telling me about the importance to Peruvian culture of ag. I'll, I'll mispronounce this, get ready for this. Agachaditos? Is that is that right? They're yeah. like uh, almost like f- little food trucks um, yes. along the road, and they got you know, uh, you know. Were they a big part of the pre-match experience, and are they, or are they just everywhere in Lima anyway?
2: Yeah, they're everywhere to begin with, but obviously when they know that there's going to be a big game like that, they're all just going to congregate onto the stadium, and uh, I think more than sixty thousand people went to the game, so there were just. Like there were little food stands everywhere, and and obviously you know uh, people from, normally from markets who were selling like shirts and and different kind of merchandise that you could buy for like you know a couple dollars. Um, it was I mean j- just everywhere you went it was chaos because people were were trying to first get to the stadium, but then as you were getting there and it was kind of slow to get to the gates. There were just people walking up to you, like trying to sell you things, and you know, obviously, like I can speak and understand Spanish, but you know, they see a white guy, they're like, "Oh, great! You know, he's got money. Let's let's go ahead, um, and, and try to sell him on this." Uh, so it was it was interesting for sure.
0: What are you What are you buying pregame? Are you Are you eating anything? Is there Is there pisco readily available?
2: Oh, there is. Um, I actually had a beer and this uh, um, dish known as salchipapas, which are uh, basically sliced up hot dogs on top of French fries, and you get, like, different sauces to dip them in. That's and, not a bad
0: combination. Oh, it's
2: so good. Like, it's not healthy for you at all, but it's so good. And wash going to a the sporting
0: beer. event, so it's not supposed to be healthy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, true. You know,
2: and, and it keeps all the beer down, right? It gives you something to put in your stomach, and then you can just drink the rest of the night. It's great. Now, Now, Lima itself, you know, so many people, you know,
0: Peru is... You know, it's it's the Inca Trail, it's Machu Picchu, it's, it's, as I like to call it, Lake Boob Poo, Lake Titicaca, shared with <laughs> Bolivia. I don't know if that's offensive to anybody, in which case, I apologize. Uh, but, you know, for people going to Lima, what's, uh, you know, what are the highlights and what's being missed?
2: I think it's just checking out all the little shops and, and just walking around along the coast. Like, even that alone is is, is great. Um, obviously, you're by the open ocean Uh, you can learn to surf it's it's just like you can spend hours and hours on the beach it's fantastic Um, but one of the the big sort of market or market um, areas in lima uh, the plaza de armas that's really unique because you can buy like local produce local fish um, basically anything under the sun and then not only that they can also uh show you how to make a certain recipe or how to cook it a certain way which is really interesting like they'll that's say, brilliant like, yeah like they'll show you oh you know here's how you can cook these yellow potatoes to go with your salmon or something you know or like here's a here's a different herb or spice you can use on your salmon that you maybe haven't haven't tried before because there are like so many different people in the markets they have so many different uh i guess recipes and whatnot and different methods of cooking it's, it's just it's awesome
0: now is it particularly touristy or is it a spot where you know you're you're surrounded by locals
2: uh mo- mostly locals for sure um there, you will see the odd tourist here and there it depends what time of year you go or how um, brave they are or how brave they are yeah uh it's actually like if you're in the city center you're actually quite safe if you're in the city center if you're in uh, miraflores if you're in uh san isidro there are like half of the city is like basically you're good to go the other half of the city's like yeah let's kind of steer clear of this part
1: and when you're saying steer clear like how dangerous are parts of lima i mean what what stories have you heard and you know were there cautionary cautionary tales that you were told when you were there
2: yeah um one of the national team players uh, who now plays for the seattle sounders uh, raul ruidias he's from one of the rougher parts of lima via uh via maria del triunfo which is kind of uh it's sort of like south what would it be southeast lima um and those are the areas of town where you know because there was just no more land or any more houses for people to stay in they all just kind of got pushed out to the outskirts and then they just settled there um like that's really rough i've heard that if, if anybody who isn't basically anybody who isn't um well, anybody who's white will be instantly in danger, pretty much within a couple minutes. Like people will alert you; they'll they'll try to they'll try to rob you at gunpoint. It's not particularly safe there. Um, it used to be the same case in La Victoria, which is where Alianza Lima plays, predominantly uh, um, the neighborhood where a lot of the Afro Peruvians live. But it, it's gotten so much cultural significance now that everybody just goes there. They go to the cevicherias, have ceviche. Um, so it's pretty safe now, but if you meander out to the southeast of Lima, that's where you might have problems.
1: And you mentioned the club team, kind of brings me on to something I wanted to ask you. Is there like, and I know the Peruvian national team took a while to get that World Cup's place, place, and I, yeah, you know, I definitely jumped on a bandwagon during their qualification campaign. But you know, are people just? kind of infatuated by the national team and then the big games on TV. Is there an appetite for club football? Because I know that when I've traveled to parts of Europe, the only game club football matches that get a decent attendance are basically when a big team comes to town in the Europa League or something like that. I mean, is, is club football massive in Peru? It is with the bigger
2: clubs in, in Lima. The, the occasional team in the provinces like Melgar in Arequipa, um, Cusco loves their their club football there. Like they pack that stadium almost every week and really affordable tickets. Um, like they can be as cheap as like a dollar Canadian, <laughs> and and you can get in. It's great even for Libertadores matches or Sudamericana matches. It's like three or four dollars because they try to get people in and, and try to support the team and they do to their credit. Um, but in Lima specifically, Alianza is probably the one side that would regularly pack their stadium and have probably more discussion in the press and, um, you know, that people will be talking about on the streets. You'll see them on the front pages of newspapers at the kiosks there. Uh, Universitario recently, where they play at the Monumental, which is where this Peru-Bolivia game was, um, it's an 80,000-seat stadium, but they seldom get half capacity the only times they do are if it's a marquee game like against alianza their big rival against sporting cristal the other big team in lima um but otherwise there won't be a lot of um people kind of come and go when it comes to the league but when it comes to the national team they're all on board
0: now you mentioned that national team game you went to uh, bolivia is the the famous team because it's so it's at elevation and there are the the FIFA rules about playing at elevation. If I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken, am I? Bolivia is the really high up team.
2: Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. La Basia. Okay.
0: Edit. <laughs> um, but so so yeah, Bolivia. It's also not one of the you know stronger teams in South America. But what was what was that game like? What was the fitness like of the Bolivian players, considering they you know might be playing and living at altitude year round?
2: Yeah, it's it's obviously very apparent when you go to La Paz and, and you're just like you're you're just coughing and, and panting heavily after twenty minutes and then you know they're just fresh as daisies. Alright, let's go. Um it's a lot different when they leave La Paz just because they know they don't have the quality to beat, you know, an Argentina or even like a, like a Paraguay or a Colombia or an Ecuador. So mind you, in Ecuador they would also go into altitude in Quito, but I digress. They still tend to sit back a lot. They, they they try to just absorb pressure for 90 minutes and maybe try to hit you on the counter or, or via set piece. Um, but they were giving Peru a lot of problems in that game, I remember. That was one of their biggest issues, was c- kind of breaking down teams that they were better than because they tended to really hit teams on the counter or against the run of play. So when teams just kind of gave them the ball and sat back, they struggled to break it down. And it wasn't until the like the 55th or 60th minute when they got the opening goal. So,
1: yeah. I mean, what what is the altitude like in Lima? So, you know, I haven't got the uh, numbers in front of me right now. Is it is it a high altitude place itself?
2: Lima itself is not. Uh any city along the coast will be basically at sea level. Uh, maybe a little bit above. It's not until you get into like the Andean region where say ass is, where Um is, obviously Cusco, um, those areas, you will definitely get the altitude. Um, Juliaca, which is next, kind of close to Lake Tiricaca itself, um, that's one of the highest cities in the world. Um, I think that's like, I can't remember the exact number, but I want to say it was like it was higher than La Paz, I think, if I'm not mistaken. But it's it's like it's incredible. So when the club team from there, B Nacional plays they have a clear advantage because even compared to cusco it is so high um and in the libertadores we saw when they played sao paulo who were clearly better than binacional um binacional just kind of sat back for the first half let sao paulo get tired then in the second half they just ran all over them just because they were so exhausted from the altitude
1: and haven't been B-Nationale, weren't they, like, second tier or something like that recently? Haven't they really climbed up the, the rankings or something?
2: Yeah, they were in Copa Peru, which is... It, it's such a unique format in Peruvian uh, football. Um, Copa Peru is basically, like... So you have the top two divisions, Liga 1, Liga 2. Every team below Liga 2 competes in the Copa Peru. So they compete in, like, within their cities... And then, like, the city champion represents the district. The district champion then represents kind of the, the province or the region. Um, a handful of teams represent each province and region. They go to the national stage. I think it starts with 64 teams or something like that. And then, eventually, it gets down to a final four. And then one team, the top team from the, four, uh, the top four round robin, gets promoted to, directly to the first division. The runner-up gets promoted directly to the second division. Um, they changed the format every year that probably could have changed recently, I think it did um, but that's, that's where Binacional was, they won Copa Peru, they got up to the first division they got into, into the Sudamericana in their first season in Liga Uno and then the next year they won the league last year they won the league and then that's how they got into Libertadores this year
0: one thing that's sort of non sock related that uh, I, I meant to ask you, uh, I, I know in Peru, there I mentioned Pisco's earlier. If if someone from Chile ever claimed the Pisco Sour is one
2: of their beverage, how do you respond to them? I pull up a map of Peru. I look up the town of Pisco. I zoom in on my phone. And then I say, what is the name of this town right here? And they say, Pisco. I go, okay. So where I, does the confusion come from? They, like, I I would, again, we could dedicate an entire episode to this, but they they just, they're basically stubborn in that, no, we we started it because our pisco is a little bit different. Um, the pisco we drink is different to what you drink, which is, it is true. Um, they tend to mix theirs with some sort of, uh, you know, whether it's seltzer water or, or Coca-Cola, what have you. Um, but that's because it's not as good as Peruvian pisco. Peruvian pisco, you can just drink straight, right? <laughs> wanted to check. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I I don't want to keep this going. I'm gonna just go off the rails eventually. It's a very contentious
1: issue. (laughs) Uh, I feel like the uh, you know my favorite things about uh, the Peruvian national team, or maybe like Peruvian exports, is first of all uh, the Peruvian manager uh, Mm Gareca is just fantastic, just because he looks like Steven Tyler from Aerosmith, yes. it's just fantastic. Yeah, he just looks like an old haggard rocker, he's fantastic. And then uh, my favourite Peruvian player of all time, without a doubt, is Nobby Solano. Um, right. He was magnificent in the Premier League, and one of my favourite stories about him is that uh, uh, Bobby Robson, uh, manager of uh, Newcastle, we used to get really irritated with uh, Solano coming back from international duty, absolutely knackered, uh, you know, as you'd expect with all that travel. So he used to, like, drop Solano to the bench pretty much every single game back. So to get his own own backs, uh, Nobby Solano used to call up Sir Bobby Robson and play the trumpet down the phone. And Robson never knew it was Solano. So he did this for years. Every single time he dropped to the bench, Solano would get on his trumpet, call up, call up Robson and give him a little prank call, just playing a little tune on his trumpet. It's fantastic.
2: I feel like I heard that story once or twice before because everybody knew he was an avid trumpet player. And... <laughs> And, and like I, I can remember the Peruvian press running a story about that, and I'd completely forgotten. But yeah, I I, I can definitely I could to- totally believe it, hundred <laughs> percent.
1: And I suppose the, the I suppose the most famous thing though, about Peruvian football is the kit. Um, I mean that red sash is just iconic. I mean it's it's no it's probably no bigger than Celtics hoops it's probably bigger than Barcelona's stripes for me like it's that sash is just magnificent I mean have you worn a Peruvian kit on your holidays before and had like random people come up to you and say that's a great kit like it is, is is it do you, do you think it's a real like how famous do you think that kit is across the world
2: I think it has to be up there just because it's it, it is so unique I mean the only other teams that would have it would be Rayo Vallecano River Plate like that's that's probably it um, and typically speaking, you might think of more so Peru than you maybe with the other two teams, maybe River. Guatemala Gibson.
0: has the uh, the blue sash usually.
2: That's right. I forgot about that. That's right. Um, but like the, the sash is just so classic. like like I don't know why more teams don't do it because it's just such a classy thing. but I have gone on vacations to. I mean no surprise because there are a lot of Peruvians living there, but I've gone to vacations in Miami, gone to vacations even overseas, and people have been like, you know, like Arriba Peru, you know, like th- things like that. Just being like, oh, my God, I, you know, I love the kit. And I always have um, uh, Guerrero on the back, so people instantly see the name and then they see the red sash on the back. They're like, oh, okay, that has to be a Peru kit. So it gets attention. Time to time.
1: Right, so I don't think I've got anything else to ask about Peru. I mean, I've had a massive geek out, as usual, about a place that I would like to visit and I haven't had the money to go and visit yet. Um, I would like to move on to gavin's trip if possible um it's a little bit of a, a scary one uh, i think uh, el salvador gav i mean i mentioned this guy in a previous podcast gary stemple who's managed panama a few times he actually had a stint in el salvador um in charge of cd aguilla is that how you pronounce it i aguilla. believe so but let's we'll leave that to peter Aguila yeah yeah, yeah Aguila. and uh he didn't have a particularly good time in charge of the team um, and he said that basically uh, the Maras, the gangs that are based in the big cities of San Salvador, San Miguel and Santa Ana have a lot of pull uh, with the governments and also the football clubs around there and he was based in San Miguel with that team. Um, he would get threatening calls at late at night and you know bear in mind these are gangs attached to things like extortion and kidnapping. Um, And he's that was in 2005. He says he doesn't think it's changed much since then. And this is a guy, bear in mind, that's coached kids who've brought guns to training. And this is the most scariest place this bloke's ever been. Um, So is that your experience in El Salvador, Gavin?
0: Yeah, I mean, I went for the World Cup qualifier in November of 2015 when Canada played there. And... um, you know, it it was different. I had been to El, San Pedro Sula before a few times at that point, and San Pedro Sula, Honduras, is of course known for its you know gang violence and all that. El Salvador was different, and I had read up on. She was at the Globe and Mail at the time. Stephanie Nolan, wonderful journalist, wrote this feature on the gangs in El Salvador, and she had her fixer, and 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 the gangs were a little more a little more wanton in, in how they went after people. And in Honduras, just don't be an idiot. You're not involved in, you know, drug dealing gangs and all that. You're likely going to be fine. They didn't go after tourists. In El Salvador, if you're in the wrong place, you could be in trouble. And so before I went down, um, I contacted Stephanie and she put me in touch with a fixer, which proved to be a godsend. Who. Pick me up at the airport, drop me off at my hotel. Um, she, you know, she said, if there's anything else you want to do, uh, let me know and we can go. And so, you know, there's one time I wanted to try pupusas, which is, you know, in El Salvador, it's their national dish. And so she's like, "All right, off we go." And so she picked me up and we went and tried it. Um, and it was at that meal, and and pupusas are sort of this you know, cornmeal, rice flour, pancake thing. And it usually has cheese in the middle and you can add some cabbage or sort of a coleslaw to it. It's, it's stunning. It's absolutely amazing. And it's one of those things that's delicious and cheap. And and we were in this place, this pupuseria and you know this truck pulls by and all these guys with masks on um are in the back and i go what's that about she goes oh those are police and they do not show their faces because if the gangs can identify them they go after their families and that's what oh made that, that these thing, this place was different um because honduras you know there are mps out there um armed ridiculously and uh uh Yeah. El Salvador, El Salvador was different and I caught myself out walking sort of to and from the Canadian hotel, um, a little bit dangerously at one point. There's one night where I walked back and I realized this is really quiet and I should not be doing this. Um, but yeah, it's, um, you know, I think thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic, I think they had their first stretch of a few days in a row without murder, um, and it was like a moment to celebrate, but it's, yeah, it's one of those country that it's, it's, it's almost at the whim of, of various gangs. And, uh, the story that I was told is that there was sort of this peace that was established and it didn't last long. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's different. Cause I mean, I can go to, I, I can now go to San Pedro Sula and, and be relatively comfortable. It's just been that many times, El Salvador if I go back again presuming you know if there's ever another world cup qualifier again I'm, I'm I'm still not quite comfortable but you know again it's one of those places where you know the people are are doing the best they can they're friendly um but it's yeah, what what what's really sad about it is that the, the whole area in Central America—it's absolutely stunning. I mean, there are these mountains that are covered in forests. It's almost an eco-tourist paradise, given the right situation. And so you feel like if if ever they can get things sorted out and sort of get things on track you know the tourists would flood in especially eco-tourists who want to go check out the wildlife and and the parks and you know you get little snippets of that but it's uh yeah it's it, it can be quite quite the scene
1: and when you say like the, the nature is absolutely wonderful i know you're a massive fan of ornithology yeah. um were you were you out there with your binoculars i mean are there some spe- spectacular sights out there
0: i i did i mean i uh there was one day uh, what what i always like about sort of covering it the way i do is that match day when it's always in the evening is that i sort of have all day to sort of explore a city and and sort of you know look what what, what makes it tick and find kind of the hidden places. And when I was there, um, I found this, I mean, it this wasn't really me finding it. There was a, quite a large park and it involved a bit of a walk from my hotel. And, um, it was, you, you walked through a, a pretty nice area uh, to get there, very, you know, one of those gated neighborhoods, which was, which was quite safe. And so it was one of those places where I felt okay walking out. And I think it was just the, 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 bot- the botanical garden in San Salvador. And I get there and yeah, there was there, you know, there was bird life all over the trees were thick. And then the next thing I know is that there are, you know, little, little, branches with cherries and I go oh that's coffee and you know there are coffee plants in this park and just growing wild enough I guess and you know they it was almost they almost wanted to pick them all and bring them home and you roast them and you know make myself some coffee from that but it's just you know it's one of those things that that just kind of struck with me that most people in Canada don't know where their coffee comes from, and here it was growing, growing wild in this park. But yeah, you get that that match day um,
2: when the games are in the evening, and you can really explore. Um, I, I do want to, I, I guess, kind of building up to the to the match day it, it, itself, um, because I, I think you know you and I, Gavin, have, have talked about this privately before um, in terms of like what the, I guess the the transportation is like from the hotel to the stadium. Um, were, were there any sort of I, I guess differences in that and/ or an extra level of caution just given everything you've talked about in terms of the differences between even like San Salvador and San Pedro Sula?
0: Yeah, I mean it's a similar kind of situation to San Pedro Sula where I didn't want to go on my own. Um, Kurt Larson, uh, was another one who made the trip for that, who was still at the Toronto sun at the time. And he was staying in the Canadian team hotel. I didn't have the, you know, a budget to, you know, to, to stay in such a nice place. Um, I was in, you know, much more simpler accommodations, which were still fine. But when we went, uh, you know, we shared a cab together and, and it, when you travel and especially in Central America around these games, you have the best chats with cab drivers. And, um, in my in my broken Spanish, we sort of got enough out of them, and this was this was at a time when when the players were sort of bickering with the fa um and i think they had very much a a second or a third rate lineup against canada and and, then coming back after the canadian training session there where they were still you know painting stuff on at the stadium um you know we asked this this cab driver you know what he thought he's like they're boys they're children you know this el salvador team and uh he didn't give them much much credit but canada ended up tying which which was it was a result in central america which doesn't happen very often but um yeah so yeah but i made sure on match day where it's you know we go together so we get out of the cab together um and and you you walk up to the stadium and it was it was relatively safe there was you know people selling pupusas and 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 team wear which was not authentic by any stretch i have an el salvador kit which i don't know what kind of body type it fits but it is ridiculous it, it is so uneven on my body i still have it i don't know why but it's it's absolutely hilarious
1: uh, so that, uh, that's like a fairly modern kit i mean like I, I you know if i put an old kit from when i was a kid like the sleeves are massive and stuff like that but you know we're supposed to be in a modern era now where kits fit properly so yeah that's the, fantastic you say you say it was 2000 and when did you go 2015 20, okay so like this okay this is in what 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 month do you think uh, it no, was it was you november okay uh so you heard the big news that happened around that time of year
0: it, it's it's obviously slipped my mind since then, but what was that?
1: So the record appearance holder for the El Salvador national team, uh, Alfredo Pacheco, he was on loan at New York Red Bulls for a little bit. Um, in 2013, uh, his his career ended at the age of 30, um, but not because of injury, it's because of him and uh, 14 other Salvadorian players got done for match-fixing. I do remember
0: um, the match-fixing, yeah. And yeah, so, I mean, they've had two, that but, but uh, Gav,
1: Gav, this, this is just the start of it. Two years later, the same month that you were there, he was shot and killed okay. the same month that you were there. Um, and he was there with a few of his friends stood at a petrol station, and he got shot down by an anomalous car. Um, I was trying to have a little dig around. I don't know who got done for this murder and stuff like that, but basically, yeah, the record appearance holder ever for the national team the same month that you were there got shot
0: killed but the the record appearances matters little to certain individuals and cartels and and all that but i didn't actually hear about that but i knew about the match fixing in 2013 i knew that wiped out a whole bunch of their players this one was more there was the dispute with the fa where they went with you know a whole bunch of unnamed players who because their big ones didn't show up but uh yeah that game was was interesting
1: (laughs) so you talked to us about the journey towards the stadium um I looked at, what was the name of the stadium that you watched this game? The
0: Estadio Cuscatlán.
1: Yeah, so I know that every stadium, every football ground looks beautiful from above, but this one looks particularly stunning because you can see the mountains in the background and stuff. Can you see this stuff when you're in a stadium? Is it like a particularly jaw-dropping stadium? It's.
0: <laughs> um, it's amazing what a fresh coat of paint does. Um, I mean, once you're in there, it's one of those ones where the ceiling, you know, the, the roof's so see. You don't really notice the outside. Um, and then, you know, like I said, when we were there, they were painting it sort of El Salvador colors. And so it looked very fresh and new. But when we arrived there, especially as, you know, spoiled pampers members of the media, we got no desk. Um, there was really no place to plug in. We found this sort of dusty... You know, plug at one point, um, but we were on essentially concrete seating, and the stadium wasn't very full, um, except for sort of this big stand on the other side called Vietnam, and we can get into that at one point. But um, it was it was very bare bones, and um, you know, the you know, of course, with media, you sort of show it. Any press box in North America is is like a Cadillac by comparison you show up you likely get a meal you have wi-fi provided and the one thing in Central America is don't bet on any of that and this was really the case where we uh you That were like, where do we go? And they just sort of go over there. And so we found a seat on, you know, just this concrete sort of staircase. Um, Like I said, no plug, of course, no Wi-Fi. And to sort of go and file, we had to go to this room, which was very cramped and found a, a hard line to plug into. And, you know, Canadian interviews were essentially done. On the way to the bus, where there was a little tiny alcove where we fit in to do that. So it looks pretty, and it is very pretty around there. But it is, let's just say, minimalistic.
1: <laughs> Dude, what? What were the players? What did the players make of it? Were there any Canadian players who were like uh, a little honest about their experience and said they were a bit nervous about staying there? Uh,
0: you know, a lot of them. There were veterans there who sort of knew. Knew what was going. So, you know, with, with any Canadian game like this, they're rushing just to get back to the, the, uh, the hotel. And so we don't really have much time to sort of, you know, shoot the breeze with them. So, you know, Julian de Guzman spoke post-game. I believe it's where he broke the Canadian caps record anyway we spoke with julian de guzman i'll just say that uh i think we spoke with adam straith as well uh but yeah they, like it's just very brief chance So I, I think they just sort of go and you know having my knowledge of being with the team from my experience working with them you're there at the hotel you go to the training ground you don't think about it you come back and so you know i just don't think it sinks in um, but when we 're there and we have a little more time to ourselves we 're allowed to get outside a bit more it's uh it 's eye opening
2: <laughs> um, i 'm trying to remember specific things about that game because I remember watching it on t v and certainly up here, everybody was saying, Oh, you know how could they not get the get the win in in El Salvador against a team that was basically a B team or a c team um and a lot of people looked at that game up here as maybe the indication that, okay, Canada is not going to be able to, to probably get out of the next round and, and obviously get to the hex for the first time in, in forever. Um, but in El Salvador, considering yeah. the situation with the squad, the match-fixing scandal and all that, um, what was the reaction to the actual result from the local press, if there was any at all?
0: Yeah, there, there there really wasn't much because I think they just expected nothing. And, you know, right. Canada just doesn't go and get results in Central America. And so, um like it just doesn't happen that and the Panama tie in a friendly in we spoke about Panama in our last last chat. Um you know, for Canada, a lot of people did say it was a missed opportunity. But yeah, keep in mind, Canada doesn't get results away from home. Uh, I don't think morale in El Salvador was very high. We we didn't really have tons of press. I mean, I actually was out early the next morning, so I didn't really have time to see anything. Um, but it's yeah, they had low expectations, just like when we saw Canada going in. there were also low expectations that Canada was not getting So I think it was just sort of like a, you know a shrug kind of well, that was 90 minutes. Now I remember Canada had a few chances. Yeah. I remember Laren, Kyle Laren missed an opportunity. I believe missed over the bar when he was sort of in front of the goal. Uh, and I look back you know, sort of as a, as a side note, that gold cup when Laren had five yeah. yards to pass a ball into the goal and he skied it. How, how the Canadian program would have changed Man. if they had won that one game. <laughs> yeah. They would have been in the Copa America Centenario. Uh, they would have advanced in the Gold Cup. Anyway, I don't know if this will make the final edit, but uh, yeah, the, the, it, was sort of a, it was sort of a muted reaction uh, over there. It was just sort of like, you know, they knew the program had all kinds of issues and, and just the game almost proved a distraction at that point.
1: So I think we can safely say from what we've heard about El Salvador, um, you wouldn't recommend um, a family with young kids to go on holiday there?
0: <laughs> Not yet. Um, it, it pains me because, you know, like everywhere in the world that has its issues, there are wonderful people there. And, you know, presuming, presuming I go back, which, which who knows, um, you know, there are nice mm-hmm. people but it's in a difficult situation, and you know I just hope that that it gets sorted out. And can, can we can we talk about Vietnam?
1: Talk oh yeah, yeah. Anything? Oh, there's the Vietnam stand? Yes,
0: and it's yeah. one stand, and I don't know how it came to be. Like this was before before we even went to the game, where someone told us about Vietnam. And I remember Kurt checking it out and, you know, it's where the ultras are. It's on one of the sidelines, essentially. It's one of those one tier stands. And, you know, we check in there, you know, a bunch of inebriated men. And, um, you know, we we go to the the hotel front desk at the Canadian team and we're like, what's this Vietnam? Where did it come from? And they go, you know, we don't know. And then it's like and then they're quick to add but you don't want to bring your wife or girlfriend there. And it's just sort of, uh, why? <laughs> and they're just like, because anything goes. And it's just, it you know, for our, you know, dainty little Canadian minds, it was just mind bending that, you know, this was, this was a thing. And, uh, you know, we were on the other side of the field, so we couldn't see it. But running through your mind, is just like, geez it's it's just for 90 minutes it's it's anything goes apparently but yeah don't know where the vietnam came from uh i think there's a you know u.s influence in there somewhere but uh yeah it's uh it it is a whole other world and whenever it, it's just one of those many things that why can't canada get results in central america it's because it's it's just completely out of left field there's just uh, quirks of of every different kind in these places
1: well, I think your future on the uh, Salvadorian tourist board is over, Gavin. <laughs> I'm afraid. I don't think you sold the country very well for people visiting there. I I am scared shitless right <laughs> now. That is horrible.
0: Well, just just <laughs> just don't go on that side, and you're fine. Like we went to a pretty empty stadium because there was all the issues. There were all the issues with the FA and the players, so it wasn't the most packed house. But. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's just you, you want to. I try to say something positive about every place, and there's so much natural beauty there. The people are friendly, but yeah, yeah. it has some issues.
1: A and delicate, what though. a uh, what a lovely way to wrap up this podcast! It has <laughs> some issues, very fitting uh, for what we're trying to do here. Um, so, uh, so uh, thank you for listening to the unnamed podcast. Uh, there are some more names uh potentially being lined up but we still haven't decided. Um I think we might be talking about uh Bulldoze North American State no sorry, North London Stadiums next time. So uh you know tune in for that one. I think that'll be a decent one. Uh, but I have to say, you know, thank you very, very much for Peter for coming on. Um some incredible insight there um to a place that I'm sure both myself and Gavin would love to visit. So Really appreciate you coming on and also uh, putting in some great questions as well.
2: Absolutely. Highly recommend going, by the way. Do not miss out. When we can finally travel again.
1: And, uh, and I should probably hand this over to Gavin, because he's much better at saying the proper goodbye than me.
0: Uh, you, you did a good job of that. Until next time, until episode four, as Dan says, we're heading to North London next week. We'll fill in more once, once we actually record it, because we haven't yet. But uh, yeah, until then, thanks for listening.